If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Judy, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week. And this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 174 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for another Classic Conversation. And this one is certified classic. We have Hollywood legend and Oscar winner George Shakiris with us today. That's right. Bernardo from the original West Side Story. How amazing is that? George is also the author of his memoir, My West Side Story. We dive into his career, shares a ton of stories, so much goodness. Oh, and by the way, if you're listening to this on the air date, October 17th, October 18th, 1961 is when West Side Story was originally released. How about that for timing? I know. All right, my conversation with George is coming up in just a few seconds. And in these few seconds, I just want to do a quick commercial for last week's interview with the amazing Mindy Sterling. It was so fun talking to Mindy. We talked all about Austin Powers and her time with the Groundlings and the Goldbergs. Ah, it was so fun. Definitely check that out. But right now, let's turn our attention to George Chakiris. Enjoy. All right, everyone. My next guest, star of big screen and theater, a triple threat, actor, dancer, singer, author of the new memoir, My West Side Story, featured in dozens of films. We love him as Bernardo in the original and all-time classic West Side Story, which earned my guest an Academy Award. Welcome to the show, George Chakiris. Hey! Thank you for that nice introduction. Thank you. Well, thank you uh, for hanging with me on my podcast, George. Much appreciated. I love to kind of understand sort of the backstory and the origin of where your love of dancing and movies came from and can work into West Side Story. In your book, you talk about Eduardo Caso, he, uh, oh, yeah. a mentor that got you into a uh, choir. Yes, that's right. Gosh, Mr. Caso. That seems to have been a, a kind of a important part of the story in terms of kind of put you on that path. Absolutely. It's funny how things happen in, in a really kind of nice way sometimes, but uh, I, I don't know if I was 12 or 14. So we, we lived in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and I don't remember how it happened, but I sang with the, uh, the Tucson Boys Choir. And then when we were moving from uh, Tucson to, uh, to California, to Long Beach, uh, Mr. Casa knew of a uh, a uh, wonderful boys' choir at an Episcopal church in Long Beach, and he told me to you know go there and uh, try uh, try to audition. So I took his advice, and I did go to the St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Long Beach, and uh, I auditioned, and I got to sing with that choir for almost five years every Sunday. So, and one of the 
the wonderful things about being uh, in that choir is that, you know, that choir over the years had sung in quite a few different movies as well. And so my very first time on a movie set in a movie called um, Catherine Hepburn and Paul Henry from Robert Walker called Song of Love, just being at a movie studio was kind of just such a you know momentous occasion for a young kid like that. It was great. You had uh, an interesting kind of really cool start. I mean, some of your early stuff, you got to dance with Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, one of my, maybe my maybe my favorite credit, as I know you'll understand this, is being able to say, I was one of the guys behind Marilyn Monroe in the Diamonds Are Girls' Best Friend number from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Because, well, of course, everybody before and since knows Marilyn Monroe. I mean, her fame is just so extraordinary. So, yeah, I got to be one of the guys in that number. And that was, it was choreographed by Jack Cole, who was her favorite choreographer. And thereafter, whenever she did anything musical, she always wanted uh, Jack Cole. Uh, and she was right. He was tremendous and really wonderful for her. It just felt so nice to be able to say, I was one of the guys behind uh, Marilyn in, in that number. Did you get to know Marilyn or was it more kind of you were there and No, I never never spoke to her and none of that. No, we're just we're just there to, to work. But I was around her other times after that as well, because I was also one of the dancers in the There's No Business Like Show Business. And of course she was one of the stars in that. And a, a couple of other uh, just kind of uh, accidental times I was getting just in, in the same space. One was uh, when we were, were working on There's No Business Like Show Business at the end of a rehearsal day. One day, all the dancers were invited to join everybody in a kind of a sort of little cocktail party so everyone could relax and have a nice time at the end of a rehearsal day. And uh, so all the dancers got to go. And of course, I went too. And uh, she came. And, you know, the thing I've, uh, when I have the option to talk about her at all, the thing I've noticed in, in the few times I was around her was how quiet she was. And how she did not draw attention to herself at all. She was modest and quiet and uh, um, respect. I don't know. You know, she wasn't what I guess what people kind of expect. But I, I love the fact that, that she was uh, she was quiet. She didn't draw attention to herself. At the end of that rehearsal day, working on Novus's like show business during that cocktail party, you know, we were all just mingling around. The girl, one of the girls who was my partner in that movie, Drusilla, Drusilla Davis, uh, said, you know, Marilyn was in sort of hearing distance in, in that atmosphere. And Priscilla said, why don't I go and ask her to give you a kiss on the cheek? And, and I said, no, no. And Drusilla was pretty aggressive. And she went over to Marilyn anyway and said, would you give that boy a kiss on the cheek? And, and I love this little anecdote about Marilyn Monroe, too. So when Drusilla said, will you give this boy a kiss on the cheek? Marilyn Monroe, very quietly and very sweetly, looked in my direction. And she said, but I don't know him. <laughs> So that, again, just underscores this thing of her being uh, not drawing attention to herself and being quiet. And I think the most important thing is how concentrated and the thing was she was on, on the work. That's what she was there for. She didn't, uh, you know, spend time socializing unnecessarily with people. It's probably a good thing she didn't kiss you on the cheek. Otherwise, you never would have been able to wash that cheek. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's cool, though, that you were, you know, like, I mean, you've been near a lot of icons, but like, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's something about Marilyn, too, that just the fascination with Marilyn just still hasn't gone away at all. Because it's never ending. It's, it's always 
I understand there's a, something new about her now. I, I, I don't know if it's a documentary. I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, again, there's just something uh, that's going out that, again, is current and in the uh, yeah, today. So she remains contemporary. You know, it's, it's, it is kind of, it's a, an extraordinary kind of a circumstance. And then she deserves it. She is quite amazing to, to see in film, you know. You know, the one thing that I, comes to mind when, you know, just thinking about someone like her, people get so taken by her personal life and all kinds of things like that. And I wonder, does anybody stop to consider how talented she was, how incredible she was on the screen because she she was uh, such an uh, extraordinary professional. But again, just the word talent, does anybody ever think of uh, putting that word into a sentence as well? Because what, what she uh, achieved is, uh, is kind of amazing, but she achieved it because she was uh, gifted and talented and she was an extraordinary presence on the screen. Yeah, yo, you're 100% right. She deserves to be remembered for both. Yeah. Betty Grable. Oh, Betty, yeah, God. Well, when I was a kid, and, and the, you know, the movie music was my favorite star was Betty Grable, who was also, by the way, you know, she, Betty Grable was uh, another sort of really gifted, talented, really wonderful performer. We tend, I think, in, in musical things, or what's a musical number, they're just dancing, they're just singing. We never stop again to consider and think about how gifted and talented and how professional and how absurdly they were in, in their work. And Betty Grable was just, uh, to me, another one who was just, uh, and that's why she was a huge star as well. You know, she was tremendous. An important mo uh, moment was working with Rosemary Clooney. Got to spend a little more time around Rosie and she, you know, I'm sure you can imagine what a darling person she was. She was just really sweet and funny and good and just and, and just and quiet, you know, too. So I got to know Rosie a little bit uh, socially, and, and I really loved that. I really love her, you know, because, again, I, not just her, her talents in her case, but who she was as, as a person. She was really a nice person. <laughs> What's interesting in the book, you talk about you're working with Rosemary Clooney on White Christmas, and you have the opportunity to work with her. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to you to do that. You pass on auditioning for Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> yeah. But it's passing on that audition and being in, staying with the dance number with Rosemary Clooney that gets you noticed because yeah, yeah. everyone's like, who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. I just basically just followed my instinct. I, I didn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have a professional point of view. You know, I was just a dancer, you know. But when this, because uh, we had done uh, one number, the Mandy number had already been filmed on White Christmas. And, and uh, this number with Rosie, with just four guys, was coming up. And we all thought, God, I'd love to be one of those guys, you know. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was in the process of being filmed uh, at Metro. And Matt Maddox, who was one of the brothers in Seven Brides, you know, I knew, he, I knew him from the school, from class and all of that. And he called me and said, suggested I you know, audition for Michael Kidd. What did I know? I didn't know anything. I just thought, well, I don't want to do anything just in case I get to be one of the guys in the uh, the number of Rosie from My Christmas Love You Didn't Do Right by Me. So so I just followed my instinct and I actually did, because you know, I, I, Matt was a friend and so I, he called me a couple of times and finally I didn't want to keep saying I can't audition for Michael Kidd. I, that really felt 
stupid. So I did uh, I did go to a Metro uh, one day and audition for Michael Kidd. And I gave a really lousy audition <laughs> and I wasn't selected and I was, you know, and I didn't want to be. So it's funny how when you're, you're new and you really don't understand the workings of the business at all, and you just, without knowing it, follow your instinct. And I've always thought since that it's important to pay uh, attention to our instinct because it usually can guide us pretty well. Oh, that's a great lesson. Yeah. Instinct is, there's so many stories where somebody's like, I did this, even though some, everyone told me not to. And that yeah, kind yeah. of, that led to the thing. All right. My intuition is saying, take a quick break and thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. And now back to my amazing conversation with George Chakiris. So interesting. So you get tons of fan letters, which today with social media would have been a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're all like, who's this guy? Of course, they mean George. And so that gives you an audition at Paramount. And then you sign a seven year deal at Paramount because right, yeah. you trusted your instincts. That's right. Yeah. In a nutshell, that's exactly right. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And then Danny Kay gave you cufflinks. Oh, God, Danny, yeah. He wanted to help me because he was just a lovely man. And I worked with the uh, choreographer as uh, the choreographer assistant on, on a Danny Kay movie called The Court Jester. Uh, and so that's how I got to be around around Danny. Danny was just all for uh, supporting me and being able to be tested at Paramount because he kind of was in, in my corner, so to speak. And I was appreciated that about him. That's awesome. It's always nice when people make it and then take the time to help others. Yeah. I love those cufflinks. I, of course, I still have, I'll always have them because they're from Danny and, and they're, the history of cufflinks or any piece of jewelry or any kind of item takes on a different importance depending on where it came from. And those, because those came from Danny, there's, every time I take them out or every time I just look at them, I remember how I got them. And it's, uh, to me, that's a really beautiful story. I can relate to that. Most of the jewelry I have, and I don't have a lot, but uh, a, a bracelet or this that was given to me by my grandfather or something like that, that, you know, yeah, has yeah. That, that sentimental tie. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And then you got to work with Judy Garland also in, in oh, Vegas. Oh, yeah. God, I, for, I almost forgot that. Yes, yeah. Because, I again, I was one of the assistants. Robert Alton, who choreographed Easter Parade and No Business Like Show Business and so many of the, the great movie musicals. Uh, when Judy Garland was doing her first appearance in Vegas, she wanted Robert Alton to do it for her because, of course, she had worked with him on Easter Parade and different things. You know, these people knew each other well, and, and I think even at that time, unmistakably, everybody pretty much recognized Judy Garland's extraordinary talents and, and genius. I mean, she was just something incredible. So Robert Alton uh, did her... Uh, her uh, first uh, uh, Las Vegas appearance, and I got—I was one of his assistants, and uh, so I never spoke to her either. But I got to be in her presence for quite a few weeks and go to the opening in Vegas and all. And Liza, who was just maybe thirteen or fourteen at the time, came to rehearsals and uh, with something. And she was so eager to learn something, and I would teach her some of the steps the guys were doing. And she and Liza. It, at 13 or 14, if you taught her something, she learned it so fast. I mean, she was just amazing and, and no surprise now because we know her history and, and her own talent. So it was really, um, 
another really kind of really nice experience and time to be in the presence of uh, people like Judy Garland. I was just lucky to be around. That's amazing. So, okay, so 13-year-old Liza. And then mm-hmm. later, if we just we jump ahead in the timeline for a second, you were at the premiere of Cabaret with Liza Minnelli. You sat with Yeah. Her. Again, a very small world. Over the years, uh, I became very friendly with uh, Liza's stepmother, Lee Minnelli, who had not, was now Tanya, married to Vincent. And so I got to know uh, Lee, and she was always so nice to me. And I was invited to, to the house for a lot of different things. You know, that house was just a, a beautiful place with artists, you know, people, amazing people in that house. So Lee invited me to the premiere here. So I got to go to the premiere here for, for Cabaret. And as I recall, I think I sat next to Liza for what it's worth. But my, my point is, again, just I continued to be able to be around some really extraordinary people. And Liza's amazing. I mean, she's like, well, we, you know, we all know that. Oh, Li- yeah. Liza's incredible. Yeah. All right. So back to the back, back, back in time. So, uh, so now, so now you, you moved to New York, right? So we're like 1958. You moved to New York and the yeah. hottest play in New York, West Side Story. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, work for dancers in, in uh, Los Angeles, it kind of, there wasn't much work. So that's when I and a lot of kids did the same thing. Thought, well, I guess I better go to New York. And I had friends who had already made the move. The girl who said to Marilyn, can you give that boy a kiss on the cheek? Drew had already moved to New York. And so I was able to stay uh, in Drew's apartment and sleep on the couch and get to know people. When I made the trip to New York, I had a place to stay and I had, had friends who were already there. And Drusilla shared an apartment with a girl called Marianne McKay, who and Marianne uh, worked for Roger L. Stevens, was a huge uh, a theater producer. And so they knew everything that was going on in New York, everything. And what was going on was uh, West Side Story was, come up, was coming up to its very first year. And it had opened in 57. So I'm talking about this was about November or something like that, in 19, or September, maybe, in 1958. And they told me to go to the Winter Garden Theater where Westside was playing, and they knew everything. And so they told me to ask for Ruth Mitchell, who was the stage manager for Westside Story at the Winter Garden Theater, and see if I could meet her and ultimately audition for Westside Story. You know, it's funny when you're young, you're kind of you're kind of fearless in a way. I mean, you're, I was modest and quiet and shy and all of that, but at the same time, didn't think twice about taking that advice. So. One evening, I went to the Winter Garden Theater, close uh, almost to the end of their uh, their their performance tonight. It was about maybe ten o'clock or something. I went to the stage door, and the very first person I saw at the stage door was a guy whose name was Howard Jeffrey, who was now on West Side uh, assisting Jerry Robbins. I had known uh, Howard from the American School of Dance here in Hollywood, so we weren't great friends, but we knew each other. So when I got to the Winter Garden Theater, it was like I saw a friendly face, and it was. George, Howard, you know, we said hello to each other. He introduced me to Ruth Mitchell. She looked at me. She said, I think you should read for Bernardo. And she set that up for me to go uh, go in a little bit while later to audition for Jerry Robbins. And she gave me a script. She said, look at the role of Bernardo. And of course, that's what I did. Jerry was rehearsing Ballet's USA at the Alvin Theater. So I remember, I think of it during his lunch break on whatever day it was. I auditioned for him. I read, you know, for the role of Bernardo. And then he asked me to take a few minutes to go back into the wings. It was in the theater and look at the role of Riff. And so, of course, I did that. And then I came back and read Riff. And then they asked, he asked me to um, 
learn in in the show riff it's riff it's riff who sings cool so they gave me the sheet music to cool and work on that learn that and come back and audition again so i went back and auditioned another time maybe another two times for jerry but this time uh, as riff and then i love this it was on my birthday september 16th what what year was that 1958 i think on my birthday, I got a call from Ruth Mitchell telling me that I had the role of Riff in the London company of West Side Story. And on that same day, I had seven checks for my California unemployment, $35 each. So it was just an, I, well, I've never forgotten that birthday because of that. You know, so it was a, it was a great birthday. And it, it opened the door to my association with Jerry and, and West Side Story down the line, just unexpectedly as well. That's an amazing and it sounds like the best birthday ever. And you're flush with unemployment cash. Absolutely. It was. It was just, it makes me smile, you know, because it was so sweet. I love that you started as the leader of the Jets. And then you were later, everyone knows you as the Sharks. But okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're all right. So you're now you're up, you moved to New York and then you're off to London. You're working with Cheetah Rivera. Oh, God. Yeah. That my, I first met Cheetah uh, rehearsing for for the London company in New York. I didn't get to know her at that time at all. I, I, I got to know her later. And she's, Cheetah's just one of the, I love the Cheetah. Everybody loves Cheetah. You can't not love her. You know, she's just such, such a terrific, uh, extraordinary talent as well. But she's just such a great person. I, I never, I don't get to see Cheetah anywhere near as much as I'd like to because she lives in the East. But I consider her a great friend. And so, yeah, I got to, to meet uh, Cheetah for the first time. And, you know, Cheetah had been, left the Broadway show. She was performing doing Anita in the New York production of West Side, which was the original production. She got married and she and she gave birth to her daughter, Lisa, but she had to leave the show to give birth to, to Lisa. And so uh, after when we were rehearsing for the London Company of West Side Story in New York, and then there was a presentation for all the people in all the performers in New York to come and watch that rehearsal and the Broadway people you know hadn't seen Cheetah for a few months because she'd been out of the the show and but on that day that we all did that performance for the New York crowd of the London cast of, of West Side people were so thrilled to see Cheetah again they that's why they wanted to come they couldn't wait to see Cheetah and, and they were so right she's just I mean she's so extraordinary again as a person but in the theater she's just really something else on stage so that was, that was my first time meeting Cheetah. And, and I'm sorry, I don't get to see her a lot more often because she's just, she's, she's got, got the best sense of humor in the world. She's just, she's great. Everybody loves Cheetah. I'm sure they did all go see Cheetah. But then later they were like, oh my God, we saw George Shakiris. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? they had the book and they go, wait a minute. The guy in the movie looks familiar. Wait, we saw him. So boom, it was just delayed. It was just delayed. Yeah. But eventually, yeah. eventually. Yeah. They were like, they're bragging about that too. They got the double yeah. brag. <laughs> One of the things in your book that I found really, really interesting was you kind of talk a little bit about the history of West Side Story, even before yeah. the play was made. And right. I didn't realize this. I didn't realize that originally it was called East Side Story, and it was originally conceived as a Catholic gang member, an Israeli girl, uh, yeah, Catholic yes. and Jews. So, yeah, which makes sense because right. Jews wrote it and then eventually. Yeah. I thought I was like, oh, how, I felt like I should have known that. You know, why didn't they teach me that in Hebrew school? I don't know. It seemed like it would be an important thing to mention. 
that was so interesting to me. And then it was just that they sat there for six years. It just nothing happened. People weren't even that into it. And then it was just in that time, there was an eruption of violence, gang turf wars in LA, but they wanted yeah. to keep it New York. And there was a whole Puerto Rican uh, population boom in New York. And so they just reconceived the whole thing as West Side Story with uh, the different gangs. I thought that was so interesting. I just... Yeah, rehearsing uh, for the London Company, we rehearsed in New York. And one of the things that Jerry told uh, the guys, I don't know if he asked the girls or not, but I know he told the guys, there was a book out at the time called The, the Shook Up Generation, which was about juvenile delinquents in, in New York. So we were all told that we should get that book. And, you know, to in, in for, we learned something about who we were going to be playing in the theater. So I remember that Jerry you knew that, that book, and it, it was called The Shook Up Generation. Jerry, one of the great things to me about being in West Side Story was that I got to work with Jerry Robbins. And as they say, it doesn't get better. He was so extraordinary. And he was such a perfectionist. And you just knew that you had to keep trying to do more on a daily basis. So there was kind of a pressure in that way. Because uh, if you could please Jerry, you knew that you're maybe on the right track. So uh, again, because I got to work with him... Uh, for the London company, and then again on the film, both of those were pretty long episodes, you know. The movie, I worked uh, eight months on the movie, so I got to be around Jerry for a nice amount of time, and I felt that I got to know who he was pretty well. You know, there's some really difficult stories about him, but I, to me, these stories didn't have to be remembered of uh, who he was and, and, uh, and what influence that he had over so many people in their artistic lives, because he was amazing. Sorry to interrupt this amazing conversation with George Chakiris, but we have to take a quick break. And we're back with George Chakiris, about to dive deeper into the meaning of genius. And we're back. I'm just now talking to you about these different names, and the, the two names that sort of pop out to me are Judy Garland and uh, Jerome Robbins, because they were both very special given their circumstances. Judy, I mean, you, I think it's fair to use the word genius with both of those people. And genius is not a word to just toss around. It really applied to, I thought, to both of those, to Judy Garland and to Jerry Robbins. They were both above and beyond. They brought so much more to the table just by who they were and their extraordinary natural gifts, you know. You've been around some amazing people. Yeah, it's been really nice. That's why I say it's so nice to be able to talk to you, for example, because it reminds me uh, of things that I sort of don't think about very much. And it's nice to be reminded because to always appreciate the, the nice things that I've had. Amazing things. I appreciate you reminiscing with me. So interestingly, so all right, so you're in London and then word gets out. They're making a movie, West Side Story, the movie, right? Yes. And all these names start getting thrown around, right? Elvis. Yeah. I remember that because I was in the show for a year and a half. All of us in, in, in that show, of our friends or families would send us clippings from newspapers here in Los Angeles and put them on the bulletin board at the stage door. And I remember the two names that I, I think I remember correctly were being talked about. Stars of West Side Story were Elizabeth Taylor and Elvis Presley. I remember those two names specifically. And listen, they were both so huge and tremendous. It made sense. Of course, they, a lot of other people were considered, but uh, in terms of fame, those were the two most prominent people that I can remember people talking about. I looked up some information on Elvis, and they say Colonel Parker turned it down, and it was because Elvis would only sing six of the 12 songs and not own the rights to the soundtrack. 
you had kind of pointed me in that direction in your book. And so I want, I dug in a little bit more. I love just finding uh-huh. random trivia about stuff. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's been such a long time. We know so much about Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley. And we know so much about them because they've been famous for such a long time. There's lots of information out there about people like that. I also read that Audrey Hepburn was offered the role of Anita, but was pregnant and had to pass. There was a lot of big names that kind of came and went. I don't remember the Audrey Hepburn one, but I don't remember everything by a long shot. But Audrey Hepburn, yeah, my God, that would have been, well, she was another one. My God, Audrey Hepburn was one of those in movie history, movies over all the decades and so on. There are few people who remained prominent in our minds, and she's one of them. She was just another extraordinary presence on the screen. She was just amazing. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, so not many people got a letter from the play, but you and four (laughs) others got a letter. Hey, we want you to audition for West Side Story, the movie. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, it was a letter from United Artists, I think it was, and uh, the letter asked me to do a test. Uh, and they, the letter told me to, uh, to concentrate on a scene as Riff that I was playing and a scene as Bernardo. So, of course, I did what the letter uh, said. One day, uh, the five of us who got those letters from United Artists uh, went, uh, went out to Elstree Studios outside of London to do our respective tests in the course of that day. What an amazing day that was for us. All, I mean, it was, it was so incredible. Yeah, we all drove, went out to Elstree, we, and, and Ken Leroy, the original Bernardo, who was just so tremendous, also tested for Bernardo, and there were five of us all together. At the end of the day, when we each finished our individual tests, and we went back into the city to, uh, to do the show that evening, we were on a, a wonderful kind of high clouds, because it had been such a, such a tremendous day. I read that, I think during the play and I think during the movie, the Sharks and the Jets, they wanted you guys to not fraternize together. They wanted to kind of keep you guys separate and keep the tensions between you guys going. That's right, yeah. Well, you know, on the very first day of rehearsal for the London Company in New York, we all arrived at the theater. The guys and the girls were all there to start rehearsing that morning. And Jerry put us in in a semicircle around him on, on the stage. And I remember one of the things he said was, I, I want the sharks over there. And he, basically, he... He started directing the piece even before he started working on it. And by that, I mean he was creating uh, as a director what he wanted us, expected from us uh, in, in the terms of, of what it was about. And that is the hostility between these, these two guys. And to underscore and help us as a director, he also said, I, and it wasn't just a suggestion, he, it was his direction. You know, I want the sharks over there and the jets over there. And it basically was saying, I don't want you socializing during the day between rehearsals or uh, during lunch or de- nowhere. He said, I want you guys to keep separate all the time. It's a wonderful piece of, I keep thinking of that as direction because that's exactly what it was. It's so important in any production, but in the theater production of West Side, that the audience feels the tension and feel they really have to, it's important that they feel it. But it has to had to start with us. He wanted us to feel it. And, and that was direction. I thought it was just an extraordinary piece of direction from him before rehearsals even started. You know, but that was charity. It's an amazing thing. So here's my question for you, George. So you were riff, right, in the London production. And based yeah. on all this, I know you love being Bernardo. That's not what I'm asking. But did you feel, yeah, yeah. was it yeah. weird 
to be Bernardo? Do you feel like you're almost like betraying yourself because of all this, <laughs> all this training that you had to be sharks versus jets? And now all of a sudden you're switching teams. Now, now you're a shark. <laughs> yeah. People have said, you know, was it strange? Was it odd? Was it difficult? Something like that. It was just the most natural thing to do. Um, because, you know, I, you're right. I, I first auditioned for Bernardo, and then Jerry asked me to look at Riff, you know. And that's what I ended up playing. But doing Riff for a year and a half, before we even did a test, you became, without even knowing you were doing it, you became so familiar with the whole piece, with every character in it. I've watched Ken Leroy, the original Bernardo. I saw him every night, you know, and I saw him eight times a week for a year and a half before we ever tested so without realizing it, I was learning about Bernardo just watching him. He was amazing. So the, the making the uh, transition to use that word from, from Riff to Bernardo was just a very natural and comfortable uh, move, as it were. It just, it all felt right. Awesome. The movie comes out and it is a hit. You yeah. 10 yeah. Oscar nominations. Considered the best loved musical of all time. Yeah. One of AFI's top 100 movies ever. All right. So let's talk about real quick. All right. So it's Oscar night. <laughs> you deliver what I believe the Academy considers, and Rita, I think, is right there with you. Shortest acceptance speech <laughs> ever. Yeah, both of us. Hers is really short, too. Yes. Yeah. This was your speech. I don't think I'll talk too much. I just want to thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's right. There have been so many awards, award shows of all kinds uh, since you're learning how to deal with a situation like that. It was so new to us that, of, of course, our, what we said was very short. I didn't think of thanking my family and God knows who. I didn't think of any of that. I just thanked the certain as itself, which didn't take long. <laughs> Did you feel like, so it was Bob Hope was the host of the Oscars, Shirley Jones from the Partridge, yeah. later of the Partridge family presented it to you. And then right. you were up against Montgomery Cliff, Jackie Gleason, oh. Peter Falk, and George C. Scott. So that's quite yeah, well, a group. What about that for God's sake? I mean, yes. I mean, wow. Yeah. It was an extra, uh, uh, an amazing year uh, for uh, performances in that category. But you know, any of us who were in West Side Story actually did benefit from the huge success of West Side Story itself. And of course, it rubbed off on us, you know, and that was a blessing. Do you ever think back like, oh, this is what I should have said? <laughs> yeah, I think I have thought a couple of times. I should have thanked Jerry, for God's sake, because in my mind, if it wasn't for Jerry Robbins, I don't know this to be a fact, but it's really what I feel, and I think I'm right. I would not have been in West Side Story in the theater on the film if it weren't for Jerry. I think I was ultimately cast thanks to him. That's what I've always thought. And Jerry won Best Director with Robert Wise. Yes, it's Rian. That was the first time two people have ever won. And it what didn't happen again until 46 years later, Joel and Ethan oh, Cohen okay. did it. You know, Jerry Robbins' West Side Story for the theater to begin with was his idea. Having worked with him for the theater and for the film, I always like to say, because I think this is true as well, it could never have been the same without him. To me, the passion and the feeling of West Side Story comes from two places. That's the score, Leonard Bernstein's score, which is just so incredible. But from Jerry, because and, and but he he's a silent kind of figure. We don't I always like to say that because to me, his passion and his feeling for his work, no matter what he was doing, 
was key to who he was as, as a professional. He was a, a genuine artist. And that was passed on to us, too. We didn't realize we were learning that from him, but we were. But again, just the feeling and the passion, to use those two words, all those two important words, are helped tremendously just by his presence. Just by his presence, yeah. Jerry was an amazing, amazing man. Jerry sounds amazing. I I hope there's someone out there talking as nice about me as you talk about Jerry. Well, (laughs) (laughs) he was, he deserves that and, and so much more. So that's exciting. Then uh, for the 50th anniversary, you got to put your hand, Prince, Grauman's Chinese Theater. It was, it's just so funny how things happen. Because when I was first came to Los Angeles to study, I was never said Los Angeles at the time. We always said Hollywood. <laughs> we don't like to say Hollywood anymore, I guess. I don't know. I was a, a student at the American School of Dance. I, I had a scholarship there. So I didn't have to pay for my classes. I would clean the studio at the end of the day and clean the mirrors and all that kind of stuff and lock up. And then I walked, so I, I rented a room at a house on the Hollywood Boulevard and I passed that theater every night on my way home. And, I, and I'd have that, that forecourt with all those friends. I'd have it to myself. It was just really delicious, you know, because now you can't, you know, so full of tourists, you, you have to fight to look at anything. But in that time, when I walked home at the end of the day, it was quiet. There was no one around. And and the reason I'm saying this now is because who would have ever thought Rita and Russ and I would one day be there, too? It's amazing how things happen sometimes. Written in the stars. It's, uh... Yeah. How do you feel about the remake? I've seen part of it, so I, I can't comment on, on the, the thing itself. But listen, there have been remakes of Star is Born and so many things. And so, and I think if anybody was going to do it, uh, Steven Spielberg, I guess everybody thought the same thing, was the right man to do it. You know, we, you can't not pay attention to Steven Spielberg just because, you know, he has a wonderful history as well. And also, enough time has come and gone since the, since the first premiere. And now I've kind of forgotten that, my God, I haven't seen this movie yet. And, and, and talking to you reminds me that, yeah, I have to see this movie. I still haven't seen it. It's very beautiful. I, I meant just from the, it's just, to me, it's like sometimes it's like they just keep remaking things that were already amazing. And it was, he, yeah. I mean, he did, I mean, Spielberg's amazing and, and it was beautifully done. And, and, but the original is still, you look at the original and you're like, still beautifully done. I don't need to see yeah. a Wizard of Oz remake either. You know what I mean? Or anything. Like, there's well, certain movies yeah. that are like just, you know, anyway. Well, listen, the, the Wizard of Oz, it wasn't that a movie of Diana Ross, The Wiz, and I mean, so it was remade, but uh, I, I never saw that either, but but I would have thought that the, what we call the original Judy Garland was... Uh, right, well, The Wiz is like The Wizard of Oz, like West Side Story is like Romeo and Juliet, right? It's like kind of the same core, but different different direction. Today's world and film, there's all kinds of special effects and things. To me, one of the beauties about the Judy Garland Wizard of Oz, that the special effects were didn't feel like special effects. I mean, they felt it felt real. You didn't you weren't tricked into a cinematic trick just to. I'm putting this so badly, but the the way it felt it was, felt organic, uh, right? That's thank you. You're that's right. Thank you. Kind of like how the first three Star Wars films were compared to the prequels, which used too much yeah. CGI. <laughs> I I feel you, George. I got gotcha. you. Hey, speaking of uh, not tricks, but I read that uh, the interior, a lot of the interior sets, some of them were built like off the ground for West Side Story, so they could get some uh, interesting angles there. 
I don't know about that, but it makes sense, you know. I'm sure any filmmaker thinks well ahead of any uh, filming how he wants something to look. And so you construct your setting to accommodate what you want to do technically. And then my wife uh, insisted, my wife's a dancer, she wanted me to let you know that in her dance, and <laughs> she's danced to the prologue, cool Officer Krupke and the dance of the gym in her recitals. So she wanted you... <laughs> <laughs> I'd say like we were watching uh, the family were watching uh, uh, it was a Thanksgiving Day Parade and the one of the New York production was you know they do the the Broadway and so they one of the they were doing America and, and then the scene was like I like the island Manhattan you know and I know you do you know that and <laughs> yeah. and so that became like that was so long ago and like it became like a thing in our family anytime one of us would see something and goes, oh, I really like that shirt. Everyone else would go, I know you do. <laughs> anyway, <it> just... <laughs> well, you know, that that's funny. That that line from the American, from the 1962, that line, I know you do. The girl who says that line, her name is Yvonne Wilder. She was a really good friend, and she was in the London Company as well. But it's Yvonne in the red dress in the American number who says, I know you do. And they kept it in. And so now whenever ever, anybody does a production of West Side Story, Yvonne's uh, line is used currently as well. It's kind of funny how that kind of happened. I always like to give credit where credit is due. Yvonne Wilder is responsible for that line. I know you do, came from Yvonne Wilder. Wow, this uh, time has just flown. Can't thank you enough for hanging out with me, George. These, these stories were incredible. Thanks for going down memory lane with me. Well, thank you for because because I get to revisit it too, and and I really appreciate that because uh, it reminds me of how lovely it was a lot of the time, you know. So, and then everyone can get your book, My West Side Story, available wherever books are found. Awesome! I'll put a link in the show notes so everyone can check it out. George, thank you so so much. It's been fun. It really has. <laughs> thank you. All right. How amazing was George Chuck Harris? If you want to check out his book, it's called My West Side Story. I will put a link in the show notes. You can get right to it or you can go a Google in. George also has a website, georgechuckharris.com. He has an amazing jewelry line as well. We didn't really get into it in the interview. Definitely check it out. It's beautiful. All right. Well, there you have it. Oscar winner, George Chuck Harris. Boom. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at Hashtag Roundup. Download the free, always free, Hashtag Roundup app at the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Follow us on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. Tweet along with us, and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Classic Conversations. Fame and fortune await you. This episode's hashtag is hashtag food a musical from Weekly Humorist, a weekly game on hashtag roundup. Going back a couple of years for this delicious musical food pun hashtag, hashtag food a musical. Take anything food, take a musical, mash them together, and deliciousness occurs. All right, tweet your own hashtag food and musical. Tag us at Jeff DeWaskin Show on Twitter. I'll show you some Twitter love. In the meantime, here are some hashtag food and musical tweets for inspiration. Frito Les Miserables. Annie, get your gum. West Side Salad Story. Hello, Dolly Madison. The Book of Smormon. Cook of Mormon. 
Based Little Warehouse in Texas. These are some amazing hashtag food and musical tweets. You get it. Food, musical, mash them up. You get my fair lady finger. Dreamsicle girls. Annie, get your bun. Fries and dolls. Grill around the roof. Little shop of hors d'oeuvres. Bacon grease. And our final hashtag food and musical. Breast side story. Oh, all right. Amazing hashtag food and musical tweets. All these tweeters will be retweeted at hashtag roundup. Go find them. Show them some Twitter love. Tweet your own. All right. Well, with the hashtag over, with the interview over, that can only mean one thing. That's right. Episode 174 has come to a close. Can't believe it. So fun. Thanks to my special guest, George Shakiris. And thanks to all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word, and we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.